Welcome to Snescapades Playing With Power, an episode of Snescapades where we enter a new month and talk about that month's issue of Nintendo Power, and yeah, that's that's all I got for the intro for these. <laughs> I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. I was real excited to be doing this again because you know we had a lot of fun doing it last time, and yeah. I'm just going to say right out of the gate, I know that last time was a bonus issue, but... This magazine was a little bit disappointing for me in a lot of ways. Before we start recording, you were saying this this one feels a lot less sort of personality driven than the the January issue. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of true, unfortunately. You know, Nintendo Power has sort of turned a corner here where we don't have the, um, what was it like a George and Rob or, or whoever it was doing the reviews anymore. It looks like we don't even have Gail Tilden's letter from the editor blurb in the front of the magazine anymore either. A lot of the people behind the scenes aren't really getting to come through and really put their own voice into the issue as much. There's also just like a a real lack of original art in this one. Most of the art seems to be from existing assets because a lot of this stuff is based on other licenses and whatnot. And that is the other thing is there are a lot of licensed games in this issue. So there's maybe not as many opportunities for them to cut loose quite as much as, as they did with, with some of the stuff in, in the special. That is probably going to be a thing that sort of comes and goes as we make our way through, through the, these issues. But yeah, it's, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit muted, I would say. So we haven't said yet, this is the issue of Nintendo Power for February 1993. Pugsley's Scavenger Hunt is on the cover. I feel like Nintendo was maybe feeling the the existence of a bit of a game drought here, the same way we are at the moment, sort of going through this part of the year, because there's not as much sort of really remarkable stuff for, for them to talk about without sort of going further afield in this case. And I suppose maybe this Pugsley scavenger hunt game being connected to an Adams Family cartoon that was, I guess, still running by this point, maybe they felt like that was a good draw. The Adams Family movie. I guess had been a big hit previously. There was another Adams Family movie coming, so hey, it's it's something connected to it, even if it's not, you know, the live action movie with all the the fun, you know, movie stars playing these characters. But um, I'm curious about what the what the process was for like what they decided to feature on the covers, honestly, because this doesn't seem like a big deal game exactly. And to be fair, though, we did like the other Adams Family game that ocean who made this one already put out it could be genuinely like yeah you know this is a good follow-up to a good game yeah possibly i mean we'll know more because i think that we are going to be playing this one sometime in february of 93 yeah but anyway we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because uh, we still need to do our newsy segment since uh we are entering a new month so let's uh that's right kick things over to newsy really quick it's february 1993 groundhog day starring bill murray hits theaters and goes on to gross over 70 million Whitney Houston is still at number one, but it's Eric Clapton who cleans up at the 35th Annual Grammy Awards, winning six awards out of nine nominations, primarily for his song, Tears in Heaven. 
and the four police officers who assaulted Rodney King face federal charges, resulting in convictions for two of them a few months later. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you, Newsy. And let's just get it out of the way right now. Rodney King, it actually went to trial. Two of those officers actually got convicted, which is good, I guess. But um, but we probably don't need to talk too much about it since I think we've talked about Rodney King before in one of these segments. And uh, you all probably know our stance on these sort of issues at this point. So, yeah. So we still got Whitney Houston at number one. And this is probably going to be a recurring thing. I think that throughout the run of this show, there are going to be other, you know, multiple months in which one singer or group has dominated the Hot 100. So we're going to have Newsy start branching into other aspects of, you know, things that were going on in the music industry around that time. And a big thing for this month was the 35th annual Grammy Awards in which Eric Clapton cleaned house. Yeah, he did for a very popular and very, very sad song that he wrote, Tears in Heaven, which, you know, was sort of a staple of like adult contemporary radio stations for pretty much the entire decade after this song came out. I would probably recognize the song if I heard it, but I, I cannot think of this song right now. I'm not sure I've actually heard this song. You you would, I'm, I'm pretty sure, recognize it if you heard it. Like, you've probably at least heard it in, like, the background in, like, a shop or something. Probably. You know, because it's, it's a fairly ubiquitous sort of cultural item. The one thing that stands out to me about this song was... Uh, when it was parodied on Mr. Show, or they, they did some sort of parody with it. I don't know how much it actually matches the song, but yeah, the same kind of thing, like a, a singer writing a song about his dead son and then yeah. getting a teardrop award uh-huh. that they award to the saddest songs. And I, I believe um, a great quote from that was, uh, sad songs are nature's onions. <laughs> Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Mr. Show is good, y'all. Do you know that? It it seems like there's probably some overlap between people that listen to this show and people who are aware of of Mr. Show with Bob and David. I will say it has been a while since I have rewatched Mr. Show. Um, I know some of that stuff definitely does not hold up. Paul F. Tompkins, who was on the show, will be the first to tell you. Like He reminded his audience on his podcast once that uh, the first sketch he was in, he was in Yellowface, and he was not proud of that. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, sketch comedy from... I mean, look, guys, comedy ages like milk, I'm going to say. <laughs> yes. I mean, unfortunately, that's true. Sometimes uh, things survive and are, and, and, and you know, remain good outside of their cultural moment. And there is, I think, stuff in, in Mr. Show that does that. But oh, yeah. yeah, there's definitely stuff that has not aged well at all in that thing. So, but speaking, uh, speaking of-, of something that did age well, well, I think you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Groundhog Day. Yep. Uh, uh, what a what a good movie that is. One of I think one of my favorite Bill Murray movies. And I don't know if it invented the time loop genre of movies, but it it sort of if it didn't, it sort of crystallized it. I completely agree. I think that one still holds up. Uh, again, it's been a while since I've seen that. I want to say I have seen Groundhog Day more recently than I have watched Mister Show. And I still really enjoy Groundhog Day a lot the last time I saw it. It's, it's not nearly as much of a product of its time as some of the Mr. Show stuff was. In any case, let's talk about this 
magazine. We've already talked about the cover, it, The Addams Family, Pugsley Scavenger Hunt, which we'll talk more about here in just a moment when we get to the segment. Player's Pulse, there's some interesting letters in this one, including one from a kid who apparently lost his house in Hurricane Andrew, another thing that we talked about, you know, a few months back for a Newsy segment and just an absolutely devastating hurricane, the type of which seems to happen way, way more often now for some reason. We couldn't possibly imagine why. Yeah, mysterious, huh? Yeah. When they were sort of going through the house and they, they salvaged his Super Nintendo or was it his NES? I can't remember now. Oh, it, it is a Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. And said uh, it still worked. Nintendo did. They really made those systems like bricks. Um, I remember another interesting letter from uh, even further back in the magazine's history in which a woman wrote to them saying that basically her children had flushed a Game Boy and several games down the toilet. It basically broke their toilet. They tried having somebody come to, like, dissolve them with lye, and it didn't work. But Oh, my God. When they finally had somebody come and disassemble the toilet and got the games out, they still somehow worked. That's incredible. I think genuinely a kind of underrated thing about Nintendo's success uh, in the... 80s and, and early 90s is that like they made really durable equipment their systems and games were not particularly delicate you could buy a game boy and give it to a child and they could be as careless with it as children tend to be and it would still be fine switch probably still is very sturdy i you know i don't really tend to put my systems now through the ringer like that so i mean i i will say that my switch has now suffered joy con drift on both joy cons at different times so we have had to replace our joy cons too yeah clearly that's an issue but yeah i think the overall like the core unit of the system itself is is pretty dang sturdy and the switch light i think that thing is is quite solid Anyways, there's a few other letters here that are interesting, like one person who is distraught over the lack of Final Fantasy games, who uh, somehow has knowledge that in Japan they were already up to Final Fantasy V at this point, and that we weren't going to get Final Fantasy III. I wonder where they were getting that info, because it's not really like a lot of people were going online to find that stuff out back then. No, but uh, I guess maybe that stuff was coming out from like other games magazines or something. I don't know if any of them were really following the import scene, but I bet there were a few. I bet that like Die Hard game fan was out there at this point and the person in the letter does say they are a final fantasy fanatic and yeah clearly they must be because they know that final fantasy 5 is already out and they are angry about the prospect of not potentially getting it here in america which they would not unfortunately for a number of years later it was interesting that they responded by saying that there was the possibility that they would release Final Fantasy V over here as Final Fantasy III. Uh, that obviously did not end up happening. We didn't get Final Fantasy III until no. uh, Final Fantasy VI came out. We got Our Final Fantasy III was Final Fantasy VI. Apparently, there, there might have been some talk at Square about the possibility of localizing Final Fantasy V. We could have had, you know, Final Fantasy... Four on the SNES, which I guess would have been six at that point. I'm not really clear on why that didn't happen, honestly. Cause, I don't know, maybe it was... If you've played Final Fantasy V, it, it is a lot more gameplay-driven instead of story-driven. Like, the story in that game is actually pretty basic, but it has a, a pretty involved job class system. 
And I don't know, maybe they thought that was like too involved for American players, or maybe they just thought without the story, people wouldn't care about it as much. But yeah, it's interesting that they just skipped that one. In any case, uh, were there any letters here that popped out at you? Well, I do just want to point out real quickly that uh, one of the letters in here is complaining about review scores. Specifically, they're complaining about the idea that some games are being scored too high and so there will be nowhere left to go for like rating later games that are going to be better than these higher than those it's so weird because like that's not how ratings work it's definitely not and the person responding from the magazine very gently tries to explain that they are trying to rate them based on today's standards it's not supposed to be creating like a continuum of of games from best to worst including all the games that do not exist yet some things never change the way this person is complaining about review scores sounds exactly like they could be in a a comments thread on like a kotaku review except not a kotaku review because kotaku doesn't give scores either if you are looking for a continuum of, of just sort of ranking the games as we go you're gonna have to wait 30 years for a podcast to come out and do that. You're welcome, TJ Sheldon of Boston, Massachusetts. I hope you're listening right now. Yeah, realistically, it's possible that they are. So (laughs) if you are, hey, what's up? Also, a contest winner who got, I guess, a backstage pass to meet the band Trickster. Have you ever heard of this band? No, I've never heard of this band at all. Neither have I. I was like, who even is this? I looked up on Wikipedia they were a glam rock band in the early 90s, a short-lived one, probably because they were a glam rock band in the early 90s. I know this was not the time to be venturing into those creative waters, I think, if you wanted to be a, a successful hit band. Yeah, like Nirvana already happened. Like, that, those days were over. Yeah. We're going to move on to our first game featured in the magazine. It's Cybernator, which seems to be a uh, run-and-gun platform game in which you play a big old robot shooting things. Yeah, this is a chonky boy here. There's a very good illustration here explaining how big the Cybernator robot is. Uh, and it has the Cybernator, and then it has a guy standing next to it with arrows pointing at them that say Cybernator and Normal Man. I'm glad they said Normal Man. I was worried, like, maybe he was an abnormal man. But now that I know he's a normal man, I've got a way better idea of how tall this thing is. So we're not going to see quite as many features with maps in this issue. And in fact, actually, I'm seeing a, a map for stage one i'm not sure i'm seeing one for stages two through five in fact that's true actually there's little screenshots and and little bits of advice for the other ones so we got the the stage one map here and i think they're trying to kind of generally set up like how the game plays after that but yeah i'm a little surprised too that this isn't like a fuller walkthrough given how it starts out you'll see this more limited coverage of certain games a lot of the time. It's weird seeing an article like this to open the issue. I kind of would have expected them to lead with like a full-on step-by-step walkthrough of this game since it's right here. Or at least the first several levels. It looks like a pretty cool game though. I'm kind of excited to play it after reading about it here. 
this one could be pretty good. Uh, it's a shame that we won't be playing this one until we get around to April of 93, because it looks like, uh, according to the list I have anyway, that is when it came out. Cool art here, none of which is actually from the Nintendo Power team. Yeah, no. I'm fairly certain. I, I think that this big uh, image that sort of goes across two of the pages here at the end of the article is actually the box art for the game, so I'm pretty sure these are all assets from the company that made it, which is, uh, oh, Konami. Konami did this. This is a Konami joint, huh? Okay, cool. Well, it's very nice art. Definitely does not really look like Nintendo Power art, but it's very dramatic and very anime. It does look like a cool game, and I didn't know about it before, so this actually was essentially like a sales pitch to me for this game. I think this one looks very promising. After that, we have one that is much less promising. Uh, we've played this game before for another thing. Yeah, we have. Harley's Humongous Adventure. This is another 2D run-and-jump kind of platformer. This one is not very good from what I remember. We'll, we'll give it another shot and you know, kind of put it through its paces. I do believe this one is coming out sometime in February. Yeah, this one's like coming up in like either our next episode or the one right after that. Yeah, so we'll... Get another crack at it pretty soon. Yeah, no, it's funny, actually, because if you read sort of between the lines here, this is another, like, big sort of multi-page thing. I don't think the person at Nintendo Power who wrote this article about it liked this game very much either. There's definitely some very neutral descriptions of things here. While the concept is nothing new, this one has solid play control and some twists that make it interesting to play. That's... Very diplomatic, I think. Also, I'm going to say from what I remember, this game, not true. But <laughs> also not true. This game doesn't really have much in the way of, of interesting or or fun game mechanics from what I remember. There are several maps here. Uh, these levels are a lot shorter than the Cybernator one, so there was probably a little more space for it. Once again, this is sort of only the first couple of areas of the game and that's typically what they do in just you know your your standard nintendo power article they'll kind of show you the first five stages but after that you know they 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 want to leave it a surprise and if they're going to elaborate any more on that it'll probably be in a strategy guide that they might release at some point but uh yeah this game was not gonna get a strategy guide i would feel so sorry for anybody who had to make a strategy guide out of that game Oh, God, having to play this game exhaustively so they could run down every single piece of gameplay walkthrough and advice that you could possibly give somebody for it. I mean, there's not much art here, but do you think that first initial image of Harley jumping down from the top of a sink or something is a Nintendo Power original? Uh, I know it's not because that's the box art again. Oh, you see, it has that kind of like airbrushed look to it, so I thought maybe this was... This was original, you know. I had the same thought when I first looked at it, but then I looked up the game and, and I saw the box art. And it's I, just the same, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just this. Unless somebody at Nintendo Power was moonlighting for high-tech expressions as a box cover artist. Who knows? That's entirely possible. Never noticed before that, that Harley, cool guy that he is, has an H shaved into the side of his head. Oh, God, yeah. move on to wing commander and this is uh, another very brief article only four pages and again giving you some basic information on how to play which is you know how you would probably need to present a game like this because you can't really do maps for this one you can't even really like walk through a bunch of missions step by step there's basically like kind of descriptions like you said of how to play there's a big sort of rundown of how to use the radar a pretty in-depth thing showing different 
offensive tactics you can use. It is trying pretty hard to to let you know that there is more to this game than just the space combat. And I think that's a good call, because that is definitely one of the big draws of this, is, is the story and all the stuff that happens on your ship between missions. I do enjoy the art spanning the top of the first two pages of this one. This one might be Nintendo Power Illustrators. The ship depicted in there does have that sort of shaded metal kind of look that like that we saw from firepower 2000 that we were also sort of questioning like huh is this nintendo power art or is this something else i'm going through this i'm trying to figure out what exactly the nintendo power like house style for art is and like whether i can actually recognize it here yeah i mean the thing is like they've got so many different illustrators that the nintendo power house style is is kind of a couple of things i think anyway I mean, you definitely have, like, the very sort of sketchy-looking Nestor comics. Not sketchy in, like, a bad way, but, you know. Literally kind of look like rough sketches in, in some cases. That's You mean sketchy in the literal sense, yeah. You know, I, I would sort of say that, like, that's maybe, like, the house style more than anything else. But I feel like this sort of style that we're seeing with the Wing Commander ship is something that I've seen before in Nintendo Power. Again, I keep going back to their old Mega Man 3 coverage, which had some really cool stylized versions of all of the Robot Masters that was done in this very shaded matte metal look that was just really, really cool. It it seems reminiscent of that. But again, I I don't know for certain if that's, you know, if it's the same artist or same art team or whatever doing that. Uh, Then we got Jeopardy. Which, you know, they, I think, did their best with this. There's really not much to say about Jeopardy as a video game, honestly. So they kind of tried to turn this into a slightly interactive section where they have questions and then the answers are at the end of the section so that you can try to sort of play along at home. Yeah, like you said, there's just not a whole lot else you can do with Jeopardy other than just say, hey, it's Jeopardy. I mean, everybody already knows what Jeopardy is, especially around this time. Like kids reading this magazine would have known what Jeopardy was. They definitely go in with the assumption that you know what Jeopardy is. Some of these questions, though, I would not have been able to get these. The man with the button-down mind who played Major Major in Catch-22. I know what Catch-22 is. I've read that book. I barely remember that there was a movie based on it. Apparently it was Bob Newhart, so... Yeah, that's surprising. I feel like I should have known that there was a Catch-22 adaptation with Bob freaking Newhart in it. Speaking of questionable adaptations, here we are. We're finally talking about The Addams Family, Pugsley Scavenger Hunt. Yeah. First of all... I think it is weird to have an Adams Family game centered around Pugsley, who might be the least interesting character out of the entire family. I wonder if Pugsley was more focused on in this show. I don't know. Like, I've I've never watched this particular animated series. I definitely remember this series existing, but I remember, like, basically nothing about it. it sure has uglier art than I remembered. One thing the cartoon did have uh, as a feather in its cap was that they actually got John Astin to come back and play Gomez, or the voice of Gomez. That's pretty cool. That's maybe, like, the only really cool thing about it that I, I know of anyway. Again, I've never watched it, so I can't actually attest to the quality of the show, but... I really do not like the look of any of these characters. It's really disappointing to see all the characters in this incarnation. Something's missing here. Like, Gomez in particular, he looks like a sleazy used car salesman, you know? Like, he he doesn't look debonair and distinguished. There's a couple of things, and one of them actually just occurred to me. I, I think this show may... The one thing that I mentioned 
before when we were talking about this is that I think they may have been trying to split the difference between the original like Charles Adams comic strips that the Adams Family wider media property is based on and, and just like making the characters look like something that they think looks enough like other TV cartoons. But the other thing that had just occurred to me is I bet they did not want to pay likeness rights for any of those actors to draw characters that looked like them. This Adams Family show exists because that movie did as well as it did. Definitely, yeah. So it's it's definitely trying to ride the coattails of that specific movie, but I don't know. Like, I just, I really don't like the way gomez and morticia look and i feel like the actors and actresses that played them deserved better than what's here and there's like a picture of gomez in profile at the bottom corner of the second page of this his head just looks like it's a bulge coming out of his shoulders he looks like one of those potato aliens from doctor who we're talking a lot about the art here because this section has some actually pretty elaborate layouts more elaborate than anything we've seen elsewhere in the magazine i think but there's a lot of this art in here as well you know they put one of the adams is on each page of this i think i just can't stop thinking about how just super unappealing they all look they also all look pretty stoned wednesday looks really stoned she's got these like heavily lidded eyes it's not good none of it's good yeah they're just not exuding the kind of personality that i would imagine from the adams family like that, that makes them great to watch in their tv or movie adaptations in any case you know th this looks like a pretty standard platform game 2d platformer featuring a license you know we'll Know more about it when we actually play this one. Uh, again, I think this one is coming up this month, actually. We did enjoy that other Adams Family game. We did. Uh, the, so I hope this one's good. I hope it holds up to kind of the standards set by that. There's something called a quadrupus you have to fight in this, uh, okay, according well, to this magazine. So maybe we'll get that far. We probably will not get that far, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some fun with it. And it will be enough to get over sort of the real, like, aesthetic downgrade that all these characters have undergone here. Uh, so then we move on to Nestor's Adventures featuring Sonic Blast Man. And looking at this comic, I think it is very clear that the person who does these Nestor comics is the same person who actually made the comic blast man assets for the last issue yeah definitely uh it looks exactly the same and i gotta say actually this is not a good comic but it is a lot better than the nester comic from the last issue this one actually has some jokes that are discernible and that play more to the strength of this being a comic they're not delivered fully through dialogue and they actually make a small amount of sense yeah, I would say, like, there's basically one joke in this comic, which is fine. Like, they do a fine job actually setting it up and, and all of that. Um, uh-huh. Well, I guess there's a second joke in there. The, the panels are positioned kind of weird that I almost missed that one, actually. They are, yeah. But there are two jokes in this. One of them, Nestor takes the air out of this car's tires to stop the bad guys and in the other he straight up like chloroforms the bad guys <laughs> yep. instead of fighting them it's like man that nester he's he's a real stinker huh yeah he's a real scamp getting dangerous chemicals to knock out his opponents rather than just beating them within an inch of their life like sonic blast man does yeah yeah the honorable way it's it's good setup good delivery 
it, it, this is fine. This one is absolutely fine for one of these. Definitely helps that it's not a child literally going to an actual real world war that had happened very recently. But, you know, yeah, it's it's fine for what it is. One thing we skipped was the poster. Oh, you're right. Yeah. What, what am I thinking? Which is the Star Fox poster. And it is an expanded, taller version of the image from, like, the box art of the original Star Fox with the amazing puppet maquette things of the the four Star Fox pilots. Yeah. Sort of standing. And, uh, man, I... I've not gotten a chance to talk about this yet on the show, but I love these puppets. These are so good. My ideal version of, like, if they were to bring Star Fox back and really try to do a new Star Fox game, not like a weird technological experiment like the last, like, three or four Star Fox games have all been, would be for them to base the look around these puppets, make it creepily photorealistic. I would love it. Yeah, this is something that I feel like we lose in modern video games a lot, where like mm-hmm. the character always has to be the character model in the game. Whereas, you know, back in this time, you didn't have character models, you just had sprites. No. So you had to sort of create your own adaptation, your your own vision of what these characters would actually look like in the real world. We never saw these models ever again after this original Star Fox game. Once Star Fox 64 came out, we were always looking at the N64-based polygonal models of these characters, which just... Yeah, with the real flappy heads. Yeah, which just not... Not as cool. Uh, Nintendo, call me. I have ideas for Star Fox. Yes. And these puppets, they are central to them. We will be talking a lot more Star Fox here in just a moment. First, we need to talk about Aerobiz. It's another Koei game. It's another Koei game, and even even Nintendo Power seems a little snowed under with all of the systems and menus and things in Aerobiz as they try to... Just like with, with Wing Commander earlier in the issue, they are spending several pages here essentially just explaining how to play this game. We've got a, a sort of pilot character who's... Uh, being shown on each page of the article, kind of giving you some sort of information and with with various expressions on his face. This, I do assume, is original Nintendo Power illustrations. And, uh, you know, that, that control tower might be, too. Again, it's got that same kind of look as that spaceship from the Wing Commander feature. And also, I'm kind of guessing that there might not be that much official art for Aerobiz. Yeah, probably not. Probably they used pretty much the only piece that exists as this title... Uh, for the article. And yeah, Aerobiz, you know, it's a Koei game where you manage and, you know, try to build up an airline. And yeah, uh, you know, I think they are doing about as good a job of it here as they can at trying to make this game sound like fun, really fun and interesting. Fair play to them. They are actually describing the way this game works. So if you read this and you think, oh, that sounds like a good time, then this article's done its job. But yeah, I think it gets a little lost in the weeds, personally. Well, again, we'll be talking about Aerobiz before too long, so we'll actually get to... I think we might be talking about Aerobiz next week, actually. I think you're right, and I'm... I'd like a break between my Koei games. I I guess this episode is my break between Koei games. This is your break. This is it. You know, uh, you get to talk about talking about Koei games instead of talking (laughs) about Koei games. Right. That's enough about Koei games for right now. Let's talk about this very interesting article 
unsung heroes of the NES. So this is Nintendo Power sort of saying like, hey, these games were really, really good and not a lot of people bought them. So they're kind of trying to do their own spin on the Hidden Gems article that would be internet fodder years later. I mean, this feels very much like something you would see show up on a website now, actually. And this is interesting because I feel like this is an article that is written in a slightly different register than a lot of stuff in here is. So the way this is set up is it it starts out with a page or so of, of text walking through various things that could make a game, even if it's very good, just slip through the cracks. Bad marketing coming out around the same time as another much more popular game. Maybe even just not being distributed that well to stores. And it's interesting to see them kind of walk through all that as just trying to kind of prime the people reading this for the understanding that just because you haven't heard of a game doesn't mean it's not great. With all that in mind, here are some really good games that you probably didn't catch when they were first coming out. It's kind of interesting because a lot of these games were featured very heavily in past Nintendo Power issues, and these are definitely games I've heard of. One of these is a game that I owned, and in fact, we completely played through for YouTube. I I think these are still, honestly, fairly mainstream choices, especially in the here and now. Some of the games that are listed here, River City Ransom, which admittedly I think was a bit of an unsung hero at this time, but that definitely got you know, kind of rediscovered once like emulators happened and people realized that it was like a really cool, different sort of thing. But there are a couple of games in here that like, absolutely. I'm like, that's not a unsung hero maniac mansion, you know, come on. But you know, that being said for this audience, for people reading Nintendo power exclusively, maybe it was maybe that version of maniac mansion was, but I mean like maniac mansion did great on, on other platforms. One game I am really glad to see them spotlight, especially here is vice project doom, which is a game that I've only recently sort of discovered because it was put onto the Nintendo switch online. And that game's great. It's super cool. And I guess based on what they say here, they did put it on the cover of Nintendo power at one point. I feel like, like this one legitimately is a bit lost to most people's knowledge and uh doesn't deserve to be it's like a really crazy weird ninja gaiden meets contra with like a lot of really weird 80s sci-fi stuff going on in it they even you know maybe admit some culpability in that one too saying that we put this one on the cover and then it didn't get released for you know another four months or something like that which is kind of interesting. You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting postmortem on some of these games. It also has maybe just a little bit of a tone of like, well, you guys didn't buy enough of these. And I think maybe it's just because, you know, like the message of, hey, these were some some hidden gems that a lot of people missed out on for one reason or another. It's a good message, but maybe it's somewhat undermined by the fact that it is coming from the company that directly profits from how well these games do. For sure. Uh, that's no doubt. And I also do kind of wonder, this article is in a way stranger to me to see here in this magazine than it would be to see on the internet now. Because here and now, with the way that technology has progressed, If you read about a game that is, you know, an unsung hero and, you know, that deserves more attention, there's a pretty good chance you can just go out and play that game immediately. With these, I don't know how you're necessarily supposed to read about how great Snake Rattle and Roll is and then go out and actually find a copy of that. Yeah, I I will say that 
I found my copy of Star Tropics like way later. I bought that game after we'd gotten rid of our NES because we had a Super NES now and then went back and rebought one of the remodeled NESs. I think like that was when I actually bought Star Tropics. Having come out in January 91, that's pretty darn late in the NES's lifespan. So like yeah, some of these just just came out so late that the hype around the Super NES was already starting and uh, you know, especially if you were a reader of the magazine, you would have already known about this stuff a little bit ahead of time. How many people were still buying NES games in 1991? If you're already like super on board with the Super Nintendo and you're telling your parents about how great it is, are they going to be really willing to like shell out the money for a new game for your Nintendo that you have right now if they already are assuming that they're going to buy the new one for you in six months? There are two big things that they're not really discussing when talking about all of this is that one most of their readers were probably too young to be buying their own games. This was like, you know, something their parents were getting for them. And, you know, they were maybe getting two games a year, like one for your birthday and one for Christmas. I mean, they do acknowledge at one point, like, yeah, probably not everybody is buying every single game out there. But I think that they're really, you know, not taking into account that, like, you know, parents probably weren't just going out and dropping 60 bucks on a game cartridge just as a thing that you go buy your kid, you know, like the same way you might with like an action figure that only costs 15, right? And the other big thing that I don't think that they addressed at all in this article is the rental market. I don't know anybody who didn't rent Little Nemo the Dream Master at some point. Like I rented that several times. Same here. Yeah, I uh, everybody I knew played that game. Clearly, it didn't sell that well because they've got it on this list here. But yeah, it was definitely like, I don't think that's a hidden gem at all, frankly. Like, that's just a regular good game that everybody knows is a good game. I was really surprised to see that feature is the first screenshot for this article. It kind of made me wonder, like, how much I was going to agree with this article. Like, okay, is this actually going to be a hidden gems thing? Or is this just like, oh, hey, good games that everybody knows about, but we really wish that we could have sold more copies of this. Like, Blaster Master's on this list. Like, who didn't know what Blaster Master was? But there are some some somewhat more deep cuts here. Kickle Cubicle, that's a little bit of an odd pick. Uh, but, you know, I have heard that game's good. I've never actually played that one, though. They also put Shadowgate and Deja Vu on here. The NES was not the system to be enjoying those games on. Those were originally, you know, part of the Mac Venture series or whatever it was. And yeah. those games were probably way better on the original Mac versions than they would be trying to control everything with a D-pad instead of a mouse. I will say, though, my only exposure to Deja Vu was through the NES version, which I I did have as a kid. And uh, that game didn't use, like, a, a, like, mouse pointer. It just had you, like, kind of select from different, like, menu options. Basically like a Japanese adventure game. That one was all right. Real good music on the NES as well. Oh, one thing I do want to mention here, there is some low-key, almost high-key shade thrown at the Home Alone game in the Star Tropics section. I mean, like, it's a bad game, so yeah, deserved. Oh, it's a bad game, and Nintendo Power stops just short of actually explicitly saying it's a bad game. But they do say... You know, maybe you would have had a better time if instead of going for the thing you recognized because it was based on a popular movie, you had taken a chance on this weird adventure game starring a kid named Mike Jones. And uh, you know what? I think that's true. 
Star Tropics is like it may not be in my top five, but it's probably in my my top fifteen at least. Was there anything else in this article that sort of stood out to you? Or uh... no, I I think that's kind of everything here. But I do think this is one of the most interesting parts of this issue. I hope we see more of these. I hope that every issue has at least one article like this that gives us a little bit of insight into what what Nintendo's thought process is around this time, if even just a little bit. Classified information, which I I don't know if we really need to go into these all that much. Not really. There's nothing terribly interesting in here. These are the cheat codes, essentially. Uh, Things like that. I don't know how interesting that is going to be to anybody listening right now. But hey, that just means we get to go into the Star Fox comic a little bit sooner. Yeah. This is pretty cool. It's really cool. It has fantastic art. It is super not at all what I would have expected for a Star Fox comic. I think that it's pretty clear that they didn't have a lot of stuff about this setting nailed down, uh, like with a lot of Nintendo games. So whoever they had doing this comic just got to kind of go nuts with whatever they wanted in creating essentially sort of like a prequel like backstory for the Star Fox game that was you know, going to be coming out in a few months. This is uh, episode one, Desperado, because this is a multi-part comic series. What kind of struck me about this is that this has a very... I don't know what you would call the aesthetic, but it, it's very Star Wars in a way. Like it's it is, yeah. The scrappy underdog just scraping by, going up against the the evil empire sort of feel to it. We're, we're kind of getting to see these characters in their sort of natural habitat, which I will admit doesn't really track with what I feel like I know about these characters from the games, but works a little bit better. It, it makes them more interesting characters than just kind of like guns for hire that do a better job than most at vetting their their clients. Basically, in this comic, we've got all four members of Star, the Star Fox team as basically kind of bandits on this desert planet called Papatoon. There's an evil empire, I guess the Andros Empire in this, is a lot more sort of like entrenched than I think we ever see them being in the games themselves. They're doing some Robin Hood stuff. They explicitly call it Robin Hood stuff. Robbing Imperial ships to distribute to to the less fortunate. Andros's uh, soldiers all seem to be lizard men in this, which there are some lizard men in those games, actually, but there's no monkeys here. I really like their outfits. They've got cool, like, like tattered capes and scarves. Like, kind of color-coded, and also, like, just, you can imagine, you know, like, okay, th- these are there for just kind of shielding themselves against, you know, the, the somewhat harsh environments of this particular planet that they're on right but also like yeah all the tatters and everything you can really tell like these are people who are kind of on the fringes and and maybe a little desperate and i think that makes their whole self-proclaimed robin hood status more interesting because these are people who would probably really benefit by just saying screw it we're gonna go target a, a commercial freighter for once so that we can eat this week right yeah you know but but fox you know scolds falco for even suggesting such a thing because you know he says you know we're not thieves we're and we not also thieves. we get like a really really angry looking toothy fox mcleod right there in that panel too which is great god nintendo power just just been knocking it out of the park with these comics based on their properties just 
amazing. One other thing I really like about this comic is how non-cute all of these characters are. Yeah. I like cute things, but it's it's cool to see a version of the Star Fox characters where they're they're all a little like ugly and sort of alien looking. Like there's a couple of, of images of Falco here where he looks he almost looks like like a Skeksis from like the Dark Crystal or something. He really does not have like humanoid anatomy in some of these images. And uh it's cool. It's really neat, honestly. I maintain you cannot not make a fox look cute. Fox McCloud still looks pretty cute in most of the panels that he's in, even when he's kind of baring his teeth and everything. Yeah. But yeah, having said that, like there's just kind of an ugliness about the world that they're inhabiting that's that's very raw. I don't know. I feel like it's it's a very kind of 80s, slightly underground sci-fi comic aesthetic, and uh, I dig it a lot. At the end of the comic, they are sort of called upon by General Pepper to come and fly the R-Wings for them for the for the cornerian military i guess i feel like the connection to actual star fox here is a little bit tenuous that being said i still like the way these characters are presented more than like most other depictions of star fox which i do like those games a lot but i do think the star fox characters are kind of boring for the most part yeah i think the idea that like they don't have the r wings those are gifted to them to do this mission is a really interesting twist on what we know Star Fox to be. I I think some of this exposition is a bit clumsy and not at all subtle, but (laughs) I think they do a great job here of setting up who these characters are, the world that we're going to be inhabiting for this comic. You know, I will say like what you were talking about, the ugliness of these characters and, and kind of the models too, that we were talking about from the poster, I think put me off of this franchise as a kid. That makes sense, actually, yeah. But now, going back to it, I am all for this aesthetic, and I think it's great. I really like what they're doing with that sort of Star Wars-y kind of environment here. And yeah, I'm really excited to get more of this comic as we go through the year. Then we're going to move on to Darkwing Duck for Game Boy, which looks like it pretty much plays more or less like the NES version. I mean, there was a version of DuckTales for the Game Boy that really just sort of was the NES game. And I assume that it's the same situation here. I recognize all these levels and all these abilities he has from the NES game. I don't really know how much difference there really is between these yeah i didn't play a lot of the capcom games on game boy back in the day i did play the first Mega Man game boy game um when it was available i think like on the eShop for ds or something like that um i thought it was pretty good there's a lot of times criticism about game boy games that try to replicate the look of their nes counterparts because the screen resolution means if you have you know a, a sprite that looks like it's NES sprite, you're going to have less room on the screen for anything else because that sprite's got to be pretty big in relation to the screen to match that resolution. I think with the Mega Man game, they did a pretty good job of dealing with that, of, of working within small spaces so that you know they didn't have to compromise on what Mega Man should look like. I would guess Capcom is probably good at doing that with other games too. The DuckTales game was probably fine. This one's probably fine as well. But I never played it, so I can't say for sure. And I don't really know that there's a ton to really even say about this article. Like, even the art is pretty obviously just, like, official Disney art. I don't know. It's 
it's okay. Like, I'm sure the game is fine. I don't know that I feel any particular need to go out and play it because it does look so much like the 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 NES game. Same thing with Cool Spot, which is actually kind of funny that we got this platformer. Oh, I guess Spot the Cool Adventure uh, based on the. 7-Up mascot at the time. We got a spot game on the NES, which was like a competitive puzzle game in which you're moving your spots around a board to conquer other players' spots. And it made sense because, you know, you're dealing with like little dots, little tokens. So the 7-Up spot kind of makes sense in the context of that. And, and, you know, it kind of worked. I don't know how well spot works as a platform hero or how necessary that is other than just right. as a blatant attempt to sell children like one of the most unhealthy things you can put in your body, which is, you know, <laughs> friggin' soda. I love soda, but like, let's be real. It's really bad for yeah. you, though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I only have one note for this section here. This is the thing I wrote down, and it's just, I, I wrote in all caps, Uncola Mountain Region. The Uncola Mountains is a, a place that you visit in this game. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about this, though. I haven't played this game, and um, it looks basically okay from what they're showing here, but also this is like a two-page spread in Nintendo Power, so they did not really devote a ton of time and energy to this. Um, we will eventually be playing a 7-Up Spot 2D platformer for the SNES. I don't know how much connective tissue there is between that game and the SNES game, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll get to talk about that one at some point. I hope we won't be too lost without coming in midway through on all the the rich, cool spot lore. That's true, yeah. Be like, but, but what about the carbonated forest? <laughs> Where is that? It sounds like, like, Candyland after, like, just a huge corporate takeover. Oh, God, that sounds horrifying. Less horrifying. Next up, we've got <laughs> Alien 3 for the Game Boy. Gotta say, really weird. To, I know that Alien by this point was like a giant franchise, but Alien 3 specifically is a deeply sad and nihilistic movie. And it's really strange to see like a game based on it being promoted in in Nintendo Power right after a game from about the 7 Up mascot. Yeah, it's a weird juxtaposition, isn't it? Also like the the art here. This almost looks like it could be a Nintendo Power art. I'm not entirely sure. They've just kind of used like an alien, like a very Geiger-esque motif to sort of frame the two pages of this article. I kind of dig it, though. It kind of works. So whether that's original Nintendo Power Art or not, um, it, it's neat. Uh, there is also kind of an interesting amount of uh, attempting to explain how the movie's core conceit sort of translates to a video game. If you're not familiar with Alien 3, Alien 3, one of the big um, things about it is that it is taking place on like a prison planet where there are no guns or any kind of advanced weaponry. So the characters in it are trying to kill this, you know, unstoppable killing machine using like clubs and axes and eventually they douse it in like a bunch of liquid a bunch of molten metal and there is actually some talk in here about the kind of weapons that you will will find in this game because of that kind of interesting it's not nearly as disconnected from the movie as a lot of these tend to be definitely it doesn't seem like it was as disconnected as alien 3 for the nes which felt like a much more generic kind of running gun platformer though i will say i i remember alien 3 on the nes being 
better than your average licensed game. I've heard good things about it, actually. There definitely seems to have been some effort put into the games based on this movie. And then uh, we go from a prison planet to some other kind of planet with Ren and Stimpy on it. Uh, the Ren and Stimpy show Space Cadet Adventures based on uh, Commander Hoek and Stimpy sketches from Ren and Stimpy where they're flying out in outer space and Ren gets space madness on occasion. We have not actually encountered a Ren and Stimpy game yet, I don't think. Not yet. I, I know there's one coming up pretty soon. There's eventually going to be four of them on the SNES. There's an a, uh... obnoxious amount of Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> I liked Ren and Stimpy back in the day. I don't know how well that show holds up. Honestly, it's probably still fine. I think as an adult, I might have lost my taste for some of the grossness of it. Yeah, me too. But I don't know. There's still some good stuff in there. Less good stuff to say about the Ren and Stimpy games that I've played, personally. I thought for a minute you were going to say less good to say about the Ren and Stimpy creator, which is also true. Oh, that's very true. Uh, there's there's nothing good to say about him. I've never played this particular Ren and Stimpy game, so I, I can't say whether or not I think it looks any good. It looks like a Ren and Stimpy game on Game Boy. I will say, you know, like there's some good screens in there that look like the cartoon, but in black and white. I, it, it's kind of impressive, actually. Yeah, no, like there's there's definitely nice images here. I, I suspect this game is is probably sort of it's similar quality level to some of the other Ren and Stimpy games just because it is a THQ game and they don't seem like they put a ton of effort into their licensed games a lot of times. This one's completely uncharted territory for me. Um, so we will just move on to Rampart for Game Boy, which, uh, hey, we just talked about Rampart again on the SNES and uh, re-evaluated it somewhat favorably. I can't imagine this game being all that great because one complaint that I had on the SNES version was just the lack of screen real estate in some modes that prevented you from really getting an, a sense of the entire battle. And the fact that, you know, your cursor only moves so quickly, you can only see so much of the screen in the time that you're allotted that that can make it pretty difficult to play some of the one-player modes. I can't imagine that's a thing that's improved with the Game Boy game. Probably not. The one thing I do notice here is that they do mention that in this version, um, there's no attacking ships, and instead you're being attacked by, like, knights and assault towers. Oh. So I'm wondering if they actually did try to sort of reconfigure this into something that... I don't know, maybe is more recognizable as like a proto like tower defense game or something. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, because, yeah, I feel like there's some pretty clear limitations to like the classic version of Rampart that we've played uh, when it comes to the, 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 the Game Boy. And they may have been sort of anticipating that. Okay. Well, I can definitely respect that. That's cool. I, I guess I just skimmed over this one. A lot of adaptations and a lot of licenses. We just had... We just had Darkwing Duck, Cool Spot, 7-Up, Alien 3, Ren and Stimpy, Rampart. Now we've got The Little Mermaid, which is, uh, again, uh, like the Darkwing Duck game, another Disney-based Capcom game that is adapted from an NES game that Capcom made. I will say I played The Little Mermaid game back in the day. It was pretty good. It was short, but short and sweet. I've heard really pretty good things about that game. I I've never played it myself, but there's 
not a lot of like just misfires as far as Capcom's Disney games go. So not 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 a huge surprise there. And I I assume this is once again a pretty close conversion of that. It looks like it. So yeah, um, I don't have much else to say about that that I didn't already say about like Darkwing Duck. Um, after that we get Counselor's Corner. Anything in here jump out at you? Or- you know, I have to admit, not really. Like these, I'm not super familiar with most of the games that. Well, actually, I am familiar with the the games that they have in here to to some extent, but uh, yeah, nothing about the advice given here or the questions being asked seems terribly interesting to me. So, all right, well, we don't we don't need to cover that in every single thing. I mean, it's going to be in every issue. So, so we have uh, the Power Players Challenge. How fast can you finish TMNT four on easy mode? Oh, getting getting some proto speedrunning stuff going there. Yeah, that would be interesting to see, like be, how speedrunners do with a game like that. I I would guess there's only so much time you can really trim off of a game like that, right? I would assume so. Like, there's some beat 'em ups with like a a much higher skill ceiling. Like, I have just very recently seen somebody do a speedrun of Streets of Rage four. But that game has a lot more going on, like mechanically, than TMNT Four does. So there's more there's more that you could do to optimize that. I don't know how much there is with something like TMNT Four. I'd be curious to see because I could be totally wrong. I'm looking right now to see. Um, it looks like someone's got it down to right around 17 minutes, 17 minutes and five seconds. So actually, like considerably faster than the fastest time we see here, which is around half an hour uh, or 29 minutes and 13 seconds. Damn, that's pretty fast. I I would be curious to see how you do that. Yeah, me too. I'm going to have to look that up on YouTube now and take a look at that. Uh, also, highest score for Kickle Cubicle. I misread that as Mark Wahlberg at first, and I was like, <laughs> wait, is this something? But no, it's Mark, it's Mark Wallenberg. So, yeah. Then we get article on the nes game zen intergalactic ninja which i did not know about this before it was apparently a comic book franchise it's kind of an indie comic book franchise that was started by two folks uh, steve stern and dan Cote. i've never heard of this series before i'm not terribly familiar with these two artists they don't have a wikipedia articles of their own as far as i can tell so i don't know if they've got any other franchises under their belt this was originally released under the zen comics publishing so i guess their own label and then bounced around to a few other things like archie comics and entity comics and uh, possibly after that devil's due Uh, i cannot find any evidence that this particular series is still a going concern and the Official website linked from Wikipedia just takes me to a 404 page now. But yeah, apparently this was uh, a thing and Nintendo or somebody decided that it should be a video game. And actually, who who did do this? Is this um... this was a Konami game? Evidently, when in doubt, it's Konami. Apparently this time. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the opposite of the way things are today. But, you know, but yeah, no, this is interesting because this does seem like kind of an obscure license. Uh, I will say the art in this article is really good. There's these portrait images of all the bosses and they look awesome i'm going to assume that this was probably assets from the comic and not original nintendo power art but i could be wrong this is a a pretty big blown out thing here with full maps of a couple of different levels and a few different 
sort of boss strategy things here. I assume this was in the comic as well, but this game definitely seems to have a sort of Captain Planet-ish environmentalist bent to it, where, like, all of the the various, like, levels seem to be themed after various, like, environmental disasters, and you're fighting various kinds of, like, industrial runoff and, like, garbage monsters. So, I don't know, maybe that contributed to them wanting specifically to turn this into a game, but... It could have just, you know, been a thing that kind of fell into their laps and they're like, okay, we can make a game out of this. I mean, you know, maybe someone just thought, hey, this looks cool and the license wasn't that expensive. You know, like it wasn't a big mainstream hot property. This could be the next Ninja Toidles. That might have been the thinking there, but don't think this franchise is still around these days. But it is an NES game, so that is not one that we are going to visit. I don't think this ever got a SNES port or a SNES version. And then we get Bomberman 2, and this art, I'm fairly certain, is from Nintendo Power, and it is... uh... It's not great. I think he's pretty cute. I think he's, you know, this this very round, portly little Bomberman. He's pretty cute, but it's just a bunch of stuff with googly eyes on it, basically. You know, you got Tiger with googly eyes, you got Hot Air Balloon and a top with googly eyes. Looks kind of amateurish, honestly. I'll say maybe the artist wasn't given a lot of time for this. Maybe this just had to be done real, real quick, and I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. Again, you you do sort of see that airbrushed look that you were talking about. There's like these little bombs that surround the headings on a lot of these parts of the article that have that same kind of shading as the spaceship did. And, you know, that feels like it's it's a look. It's one of the things that Nintendo Power does. Um, then uh, we go from Bomberman 2 to Tiny Toons Adventures 2, Trouble in Wacky Land for the NES. I'm fairly certain there is going to be a Tiny Toons game on the SNES as well, but I, I don't actually know that for certain. No, there is. There's one. It's called Buster Bust Loose, and it's actually really good. Uh, we we should be getting to that before too, too long. It's a, it's a very solid, very attractive-looking uh, Konami game, once again. So Konami has done a lot of good work on the Super Nintendo so far. Now, I was a big fan of the original Tiny Toons game for the NES, but I never played this one. Yeah, probably because, I mean, again, we're just dealing with stuff coming out so late for the system. But Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like, the SNES is over a year old at this point, and we've still got a lot of coverage devoted to new NES games coming out. And I mean, that that's going to be the case for a while still. Uh, I guess they were really concerned that people weren't going to upgrade. And, you know, and maybe a lot of folks didn't at first either. I mean, I definitely knew people who still just had an NES up until like 94. You know, oh, just looking at the art for this, um, this is obviously just art assets from the cartoon. But, oh, it's so colorful. I, I really loved Tiny Toons back in the day. And I'm kind of sad that it feels like this is a an aspect of the overall Looney Tunes universe that has never really been revisited. It seems like it was just kind of its own thing. And, and now it's mostly forgotten. I don't think we've ever seen these characters in any other Looney Tunes media since. And I'm I'm kind of bummed about that. That That is kind of a shame because these were pretty solid, like, kind of spins on classic Looney Tunes concepts. Uh, you never know. Maybe if that Animaniacs reboot that they're doing this year turns out really well and is extremely popular, somebody will start looking at Tiny Tunes and being like, you know, maybe. I would like a show like that to exist for my nieces now, but they've probably got all their own stuff that they really enjoy. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that they've got their own stuff that is like just as impactful for them as Tiny Toon. 
performance-wise. Yeah, that, that's just me being an old man, I guess. <laughs> The next game we have up here, I guess the title of it is Time Diver Eon Man. Yeah. But I find the way the title is displayed here really confusing. Like, Time Diver Man Eon? I don't know. I feel like this is a bad logo. Time Diver Man, Time Diver Man, Time Diver Man hates Universe Man. Speaking of Tiny Toons. That's good, yeah. This art here looks very Nintendo Power. This kind of looks like the Nestor Sonic Blast Man kind of art. Yeah, it does. Dude has a very, like, late 80s, early 90s generic video game protagonist look. Blonde hair, sunglasses. Kind of looks like he's dressed for playing football. I don't know. I've never played this game. I don't even know if I've heard of this game before. Me either. But this looks very generic to me. The background for this is just plain blue. Like, even Nintendo Power wasn't even sure like i don't know what even is this what do we do with this the plot synopsis for this game seems to suggest that like the player characters like son in the future is going to create the pre-crime division from uh from minority (laughs) report but in this case it's a good thing and you have to help him stop the evil criminals who are trying to go back into the past and make sure that doesn't happen. Not great as far as the setup goes, I think. Yeah, I've never heard of this game. Like I said, this looks pretty painfully generic, not appealing at all. Anyway, we move on. We got players poll contest uh, Wayne's World themed. You get really nice couch and Wayne. Oh, maybe, maybe you don't get a really nice couch because it says not there. But you do get an amp, a Stratocaster, a video camera, a pair of drumsticks. I guess you don't get the drums. I guess Garth is never really shown with drums on the show, in the sketches, right? Not really, yeah. He's always just got his drumsticks and a copy of Wayne's World. Yeah, which which, honestly, that feels like the opposite of winning a contest, frankly. (laughs) Having to play the Wayne's World video game for the Super Nintendo. So next up, we have the Nintendo Power Top 20, and just like with the previous issue, this is broken down into a a Top 20 for each of the three platforms that Nintendo is currently promoting, the Super Nintendo, the NES, and the Game Boy. I have a real question about this list, actually. What is this list? The thing that makes me ask that is that Equinox is on here at number 16, and I believe... Isn't that the game that they showed off in the last issue that does not end up coming out for, like, another year? Yeah, I didn't even notice that. What is this list, then? Because it's clearly not, like, highest rated games people have played or, like, people's favorite games. I am not entirely sure. So I I think it comes from, I I think for the most part, it's kind of coming from, like, the player's poll things so we're like so maybe it was just based on interest rather than like games that people actually played and were enjoying but i don't know for certain i'll have to do a deeper dive on that to figure out what's going on or maybe our release schedule is way off maybe equinox did actually come out closer to when we thought it did or when nintendo power said it was going to no i mean after our talk about it last time i did look it up and it did not actually come out for a very long time yeah, so I, I don't know what's going on there. In any case, um, Street Fighter Two World Warrior is still on top. In fact, I don't even think... Yeah, the top three have not moved. It's still Street Fighter Two, Zelda, and Super Mario Kart, which is what it was last time. Let's see, it looks like Turtles in Time has 
taking quite a tumble, though, all the way from four to number 12. And uh, Mario Paint is kind of seeing a bump uh, going from number nine to number four. I wonder if all the good, um, you know, coverage of it in Nintendo Power helped with that. You know, like the, all the, the cool stuff you can do. With- yeah, exactly. Like having those new stamps and music to kind of recreate from the last issue maybe got people more excited uh who are reading the magazine anyway that's why i'm thinking like maybe it was just based on interest more than like games that you'd actually played like hey just put down you know like games that you want to play or games that you're excited about or whatever on this thing and and maybe that's how equinox got you know this bump that it did it'll be interesting to see if equinox is still there next month final fantasy 2 drops from number five to number nine so a bit of a hit there Super Mario World looks like stays at number six, despite all these things shifting around it, which is kind of interesting. That's staying power, baby. I also think it's interesting that Roadrunner is on this list at number 18 now, when it was not on the list last month. Yeah. I wonder if Nintendo Power, putting it in their top 10 for the year, maybe gave it a bump. Kind of surprising to see Tecmo Super Bowl uh, overtake Super Mario Brothers 3 on the NES side of things. People love that football, and this was the time for the Super Bowl, end of, uh, right? That happens at, like, the end of January. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, Super Mario Land 2 made a huge jump, uh, getting to number one all the way from number 11, where it was the previous month. And uh, interestingly enough, Super Mario Land 1 stays at number two. So (laughs) go figure. Yeah. In any case, we could probably like find little observations about that for a while now. But uh, let's. Let's uh, start wrapping things up here. We're going into now playing. We've got, hey, look at that, The Hunt for Red October, which we just talked about. So one thing I want to mention about this now playing section as a whole is that the criticisms here in the negative columns for all these games seem a lot more pointed than I was expecting. They're, once again, pretty much the only place in this magazine where you're going to find anybody saying anything negative, really genuinely negative about these games. But, you know, actually pointing out that apparently the NES version, sorry, the Game Boy version of The Hunt for Red October had um, a a two-player mode that's not in the Super Nintendo version. Surprising that they would mention that. The comment they have about Wing Commander here, that it is very hard to actually find and engage with the enemy ships, that is exactly what we said about it. So yeah, let's see what what they say about Aerobiz here, because I'm kind of curious. Almost every aspect of managing a major airline is included in this simulation, making it seem very realistic. You'll really feel like you're controlling an airline, I guess. So um, if that's something you want out of your game, I... Boy, I'm not looking forward to talking about that because I just I don't know what else there is to say about Koei games at this point. Um, Hey, Dragon's Lair. That was a game that had a really bad NES port. Remember that? It it sure was. Yeah, I guess that might be coming up pretty soon. Boy, they, there's a lot more ink spilled in the negative than the positive for that game. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to say this one doesn't fare well, similar to its NES counterparts. Yeah, February might be a kind of a rough month. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super looking forward to a lot of these games, honestly. But maybe they'll surprise us. I don't know. Yeah, looking at some of these NES games, I almost wish that this was Nescapades instead of Snescapades. So I like the negative for Eon Man. The unoriginal theme falls flat for having been done better by Terminator 2. Why does a time traveler have ninja <laughs> arts? I think that kind of 
confirms that, yeah, they, they just sort of said like, hey, what's popular now? I don't know, all this stuff, time travel and ninjas, cool. It's a time traveling ninja with blonde hair and sunglasses. Great. Okay, we're in good shape then. Ship it. And then uh, Pack Watch, we've got Mech Warrior, which I don't know a whole lot about. I, I played it when I was a kid. I remember this game being pretty cool, actually. I did try to play it a couple years ago again, and I found it kind of fiddly and a little hard to go back to, but maybe digging into it further would show me some more good stuff about it. But yeah, I remember liking it when I was a kid. Uh, we've also got Star Fox, of course, which uh, I, I've never actually played the original Star Fox, I don't think. You know, I, I think it's a really good game. Uh, it is obviously just barely hanging on with the technical limitations that it is it is built within but i think it's really fun and i think that it has by far like bar none the best soundtrack that that series has ever produced yeah no i i think it's genuinely a cool game though and especially if you can kind of get past some of the like clunkiness of it i think it's it's a really solid the first one of those kinds of games that i really think of you know existing on like a home system all right Right, well, we've also got Shadowrun, which I that's based on that uh, like kind of pen and paper tabletop RPG, right? Yep, the kind of like fantasy meets cyberpunk uh, tabletop RPG. There were completely different Shadowrun games made for the Super Nintendo and the Genesis uh, by different people, totally different like styles of game. But uh, they've both got their fans. I haven't really played either of them, so yeah. And I, I wonder how well that's you know being a tabletop RPG is going to translate to the SNES. I know we've played like some of the Dungeons and Dragons games on the NES back in the day, and those were not really great. It didn't really work all that well on the system, but we'll see how this does uh if you know if it fares better than those uh wayne's world i'm not holding out too much hope for that one uh then uh, we got some stuff for the nes including uh oh hey the alien 3 game for nes which i mentioned earlier and also a uh, sequel to deja vu i believe ace harding lost in las vegas that's uh deja vu 2 is it not it is yeah I've, I've never played that one yeah i'd be curious uh, about like how it is because the original deja vu is not a game i ever made a ton of progress in but it's really striking i have some really fond memories of trying to figure that game out i, I guess i was aware there was a sequel but I, I was still kind of surprised to see it here i'm not sure if i knew it was ever like actually like put out on the on the nes and uh then we got some game boy games including kid dracula which they do not mention it being connected to castlevania at all here they do not no i mean it's not very connected to Castlevania, but Kid Dracula is pretty neat, though. I was uh, messing around with that on that um, Castlevania collection they put out a while back. It's fun. It's it's a little more Mega Man-ish than Castlevania, really, as far as its inspirations go. I would call that a win, but all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we've also got Adventure Island 2 for Game Boy and Great Greed, a game I have not heard of or am not familiar nope, with at all. never. Uh, and then a uh, pack watch update. Uh, looks like we got something about alien versus predator, which uh, did we get an alien versus predator game on the SNES? I didn't think we did, but maybe we, maybe they were planning one at some point and it just didn't happen. But yeah, I cannot remember off the top of my head right now. It says it's, it's slated for spring 93. So I guess we'll find out before too long. And uh, yeah, other than that, our next issue and uh, oh, hey, I asked if Tiny Toons came out on the SNES. It did. And we're going to talk about that in the next issue, apparently. Um, All right. But uh, the cover for next issue is going to be Star Fox. So we're going to be talking a lot of Star Fox, not just the comic next time. Nope, I was wrong about that. 
It's going to be Tiny Toons. Tiny Toons is on the cover of the March 93 Nintendo Power issue. Star Fox has to wait just a bit longer. That's issue 45 in the books now. A little bit harder to get through this one, I think, than than the previous issue. Like I said sort of at the top of the show, I think there is kind of a sense that they're sort of killing time here, waiting for like some bigger games to talk about. But, you know, there's still some good stuff in here. Uh, Star Fox comic is great. And really, I'm really excited to to see more of that for sure. Me too. So that's going to do it. So I guess um, it's time to talk about what we're going to be talking about next time. And I'm, I need to pull up the list. I'm a little bit apprehensive given some of the things that are upcoming according to the magazine. Oh, Lord, this is going to be rough, dude. All right. Next up, we've got Aerobiz. We've got Cool World. And we've got Dragon's Lair. Oh, boy. Cool World. That's one that Nintendo Power did not mention. No, I wonder why. Yeah, even they were like, no, we don't even want to talk about this. We played that for the NES back in the day, right? And it was not good. It was nearly unplayable for the NES. Maybe it's a totally different game for the Super Nintendo. I hope so, because that game was very bad. Yeah, we'll we'll see what this is. Um yeah, next week's going to be rough. You know, I, I it's been a while since we've actually had an episode with three games in it, which is sort of the the credo of the show. But I have a feeling I'm I'm going to miss uh, just only having to cover two games at a time. But I don't know. We'll we'll see how this goes. If we absolutely need to change the format again, we can change the format again. Remember when we had to talk about four games every episode? Ooh, that was rough. That was we did not do that for very long. No, we didn't. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I am probably not going to put a lot of time into Aerobiz. I think we already know what we think of Koei games, and that they're just not really our thing. But yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll put in a few minutes with it. But uh, yeah, don't don't expect it in in depth review of that one guys well that's great just more time for cool world and dragon's lair so yeah yeah because they they really deserve so much of it yep Uh uh-huh folks thank you all so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this uh until next time i'm steampunk link i'm emmy zero play loud Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. I am just a simple man. I sell leather pants. But now I'm torn by my conscience. I sell leather pants The kindly farmer said no But I want to do it so